The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Father, we just want to say that we love you. We love your presence. We love what you do, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. We love you because you accept us, because you lavish your affection, your favor, your blessings upon us. We love you, Lord, for all that we hear that you are doing around the world. We love you especially when we hear how you are rescuing and saving and transforming people's lives. We thank you, Lord, that you came to save the lost, the broken, the lonely. And Lord, you are still about that work. We thank you that you can set captives free. We thank you that you are here for us, that you have come to help us, to strengthen us. And this morning we pray, Holy Spirit, be released in this room. Be released over our lives. Have your way in us and through us. Accomplish this time, this moment, all that you have desired to accomplish amongst us that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ may be lifted up, may be honoured and glorified. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, can I ask you to turn to the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, chapter 1. We're just about to embark on this new series this morning over the next four weeks, which has been entitled, as you've heard already, we're blessed to be a blessing, and so we're going to have a, a kick-off with us this morning and see how, far we, see how far we get with it. But first of all, we're going to read from a few uh, verses from chapter 1. So Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first 14 verses. Well, not necessarily look at them all, I'm going to read them to you. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read that, you get a general understanding about, wow, this seems to be pretty exciting. A lot seems to be going on. So there's one thing about you thinking, like, wow, there's all of these words, and it seems great, and it's good. And yet, at the same time, you think, like, what? What, what are you talking about? I, I can pick up some of that. But in truth, when I read that, I think, Paul, you're using lots and lots of words, and I can't grasp all of it. In fact, when we do start to look into it, this is deep and, and wide and great and magnificent. But when you read it through, you yeah, wow, I'm trying to take all this spiritual blessings and, and all of these things that are coming in. And to be honest with you, I find that a little bit difficult to take in. Now, before we delve straight into this, I want to draw together three threads, three things I just want to talk about to help us as we go into this and to help us as we go into this book. First of all, I want to just think a little bit about how Paul came to Ephesus and how this church was established. Now, not now, but later on if you want, you can go home and read Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, there is an account there of when Paul first came to Ephesus. And so when he first encountered and first established this church, it was his third missionary journey. He had been journeying through Turkey, so he'd, he'd marched or walked, uh, or however, went across Turkey, and he comes to Ephesus, and when he gets to Ephesus, he finds on the coast of Turkey, or near to the coast of Turkey. When he gets there, he finds some disciples who are believing in Jesus Christ. So obviously with Paul, as soon as he finds people who have got some interest in Jesus, he's starting to talk with them and he's starting to, to chat with them and find out how they, are, how they are and what's been going on with their lives. And in the course of this, he says to them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And that's all. They're a bit confused. And he says, well, okay, well, what baptism have you received? Have you been baptized? Because he's keen to press in on them. And they say, yes, yes, we've been baptized. Well, well what sort of baptism have you had? And they say, the baptism of John the Baptist. And so Paul now starts talking to them and encouraging them, and he says, well, look, okay, John the Baptist, that was a baptism for repentance. Did you know about the Holy Spirit? And, and they don't know about the Holy Spirit. Anyway, it ends up with Paul just laying his hands on them, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, wow, there's something happening amongst this small group. That's how everything starts. But from there it progresses because it says that Paul then went for a three-month period, he preached in the synagogue. Now it was often Paul's uh, way of going to a synagogue when he went to a town and using that as his footstep, as it were, to start preaching to the Jews about Jesus Christ and about the things that he himself had experienced. So he goes to the synagogue and for three months he's preaching and he's teaching and he's uh, telling them about Jesus and encouraging them. And this is a good time. Well, it's a good time from the point of view that things are being stirred up. And you know, like when you receive a preaching and you, yeah, okay, that's good, I'll listen to that next week. And, and then after a while you realise there's a big challenge in what he's bringing. 
And of course, Paul is challenging them about are they leaving behind their old, old, old ways and old culture and the things of the law? Are they now realizing that it's by grace that they can come in and, and learn all the things of Jesus Christ? Now, obviously, when you start to get hold of a message and you start to realize, wow, this is different, two things happen. Those people who love it are going like, this is the best. And some of the other people are thinking like, hang on a second, we prefer what we were being taught before. We don't like this new stuff. And of course, there's a little bit of this that happens. And it says the opposition arose against Paul. In fact, Acts chapter 19, verse 9, it says this, but some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. Because at this stage, Christianity was known as the way. This is the way that we are supposed to walk. These are the things that we're supposed to be doing. There was a route, there was a journey, there was a way, and the people of the way, in effect, were the Christians. So Paul was preaching this way, and they stood against the way. So it says that Paul, he leaves the synagogue. Did he leave, or was he asked to leave? No, not know no, that. But he's had enough. He's left the synagogue, and now... He takes things into the marketplace. He actually goes and hires a hall. It's a lecture hall of Tyrannus. So he goes to the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and there, for the next two years, he's doing exactly the same thing. But now he's got the Gentiles in. He said, I'm here, and I'm preaching the message about Jesus. So life and vitality is being brought for two years into this city of Ephesus, a great bustling Roman city. And people, the Jews and the Gentiles, are hearing the good news about Jesus and they are being transformed. Transformation is coming into this city. So you can imagine it. And it says that God empowered Paul to do great miracles. Now, last week we had that healing service and there was encouragement in that. And one or two people actually had a handkerchief prayed over, didn't they? To go and to take back home. This is where that comes from, right in Ephesus. Because it says, God gave Paul the power, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had nearly touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits expelled. This is some power. This is some authority. And so this is happening. Now, when this is happening in the center of a city, in a public hall, you can imagine that the word gets out. And sure enough, the word did get out. It says that Jews and Gentiles across the whole region started to know about Paul and about what was going on. Now, it's amazing. Now, as with anything, when there's somebody who's doing a lot of preaching and people are being stirred up, it stirs up other people. And you can imagine the sign. This wasn't just like, okay, now look, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. I don't believe Paul was like that. He's like, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. Come on, let's bring on those handkerchiefs. Let's bring on those aprons. If they touch me, take them back home. People are going to get healed. They come back the next day. They're hearing stories about healings and deliverances. Now, we don't talk much about deliverance because people get afraid of evil spirits. Well, do they? It's funny, isn't it? Because tomorrow, everybody seems to be worshipping evil spirits. You see? That's a bit weird, isn't it? But in the church, we're still afraid of them. We shouldn't be afraid of them. In the name of Jesus, demons have to flee. 
And that's what we're hearing. The demon of alcoholism, the demon of drug taking, it has to flee in the name of Jesus. Why? Because his is the name that is above every other name. On the cross, he conquered the powers of sin and death. The name of Jesus has authority. Let me just say, if you are afraid in any shape, way or form, because it's Halloween tomorrow, then look to Jesus. I'm not saying there aren't frightening things and the way people dress up, it doesn't disturb us. It does disturb us. It disturbs me to think that so much is made of entertainment of the works of darkness. But remember this, Jesus is the light of the world and he has come to overcome. Anyway, back to Ephesus. In Ephesus, Paul's lecturing. In Ephesus, demons are fleeing. In Ephesus, people are getting healed. Not just in Ephesus, in wider out. So there's a lot of excitement that is going on there. Some people, some of the Jews, they think this is good news. We like the idea of demons going. We like the idea of people being set free. I like that idea. I want to see that happen as well. So some people are saying like, yeah, I like this. In the name of Jesus, out! And so there are some Jews that are going around and they're literally saying that. They're not using their own name, they're saying, in the name of Jesus. And then some of them say, in the name of Paul. And you know what? There was a high priest and his sons, his name was Sceva, and he had seven sons. And his sons had got stirred up with this and they went to pray for a guy who was demonized. And they said, in the name of Paul and in the name of Jesus, come out. But this wasn't obviously just any old demon. Because it says, one day, the evil spirit answered them, and it said this, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who the heck are you? (laughs) Sometimes we can start invoking spiritual powers without really knowing what's really behind it. That's what happens tomorrow. A lot of people invoke spiritual powers, they've got no idea who's behind it. And the same thing can happen in the dark side or in the light side. We need to know Jesus and we need to be under Jesus if we're going to operate with Jesus. Now the reason I say that, these seven sons of Sceva, this evil spirit says, well who the heck are you? Now what happened was the house that they are in, this man overpowered seven of them, stripped them of their clothes and it says they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It doesn't mention the word embarrassed, but I do feel that that was attached to it as well. Now, the interesting thing is, everybody started to hear about this. Well, you would do, wouldn't you? Have you heard about the seven sons of Sceva? Oh, my days, naked and bleeding. Can you believe it? Running down the street they were. I saw it. You can imagine the stories that were going around. But anyway, when people heard about this, it says great fear came upon the whole church. Because people realized, this is no longer mucking about. This is no longer, oh wow, something's happened. This is a reality. But now Paul, through what he was doing, something was breaking in the spiritual realm. Because there is a realm of the spirit. Right now we're in the realm of the physical and there is the realm of the spiritual around us. But because we can't see it, because we can't perceive it, we tend to put that to one side. We know what we can see, what we can touch, what we can handle. Okay, we feel secure in that. But something was happening in Ephesus and the realm of the spirit was breaking. The realm of the spirit is breaking in Lithuania. When you hear about that place that Marius was talking about, where the gypsies were, where they ruled with drugs and nobody could go there, 
except those who wanted drugs, to hear that that place is changing, something is happening in the spiritual realm. When things happen in the spiritual realm, they start to manifest in the physical realm. That's why our prayers are powerful, because it's affecting the spiritual realm. We pray into the spirit that we may see things happen in the natural realm. So Paul was having an effect in the spiritual realm. Now, why do we know this? Because after this whole thing with the sons of Sceva and them running out the house naked, it says here, when this became known to Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed, listen to this, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. Do you see something's changing here? This is like a church service like this. And suddenly, oh my goodness, we've got one, two, three, four, five of you who we all know, all like, and suddenly you're saying, hey look, this is what I've been doing. These are the secrets of my life. You think you could hear a pin drop in a meeting like that? Oh yes. You think the fear of God would be there because you think, oh, what about me? What are my secrets? Because suddenly it becomes a reality. So this happened. So people were coming and they started to, con- they openly confessed what they had done. Listen to this. A number who had practiced sorcery bought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. You see, there was synchronicity going on. There's, these people were doing Christianity and doing those things, but behind the scenes they're doing a bit of witchcraft. They, they're, they're servicing the altars of darkness. These things are happening. And this still happens in churches not necessarily just in Bromley, but around the place, around the world. So what happened now is there's a shaking, and people are now saying like, whoa, actually, I've been in witchcraft as well. And they're bringing their scrolls, they're bringing the articles that were to do with that witchcraft. Now, this is what impresses me. It says, when they calculated the value of the scrolls that had been burnt, their total came to 50,000 drachmas. Well, okay, let's just put that in Greek language. Actually, what they're talking about is a silver coin that was basically represented a day's wages. So 50,000 days wages. Calculated on today's minimum wage, it comes out at just under three million pounds. Okay? This is some turnaround, folks. When you've got value that you've put into something of that sort of amount... And people are coming and saying, this is worthless because now we see the power of God. There's turnaround. Now we need to understand that, to understand that the Ephesians, they understood that things can happen in the spiritual realm. They understood the power and the authority of God. They understood that there are powers of darkness and there's power of God. And God overcomes darkness. This is a background to this book. It's a background to this church. It's a background in understanding that we need to have. And as I say, if you want to find out more about that, then go home tonight or this afternoon and read Acts chapter 19. So that's the first thread that I want to bring together. Second thread I want to talk about is a little bit about this thing, being blessed by God. And we read it and we've spoken of it this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now we've got a word here, blessing, and that word blessing means to us all we receive good things. 
But that's not necessarily what that word means across the whole understanding of Scripture where it's used. So I just want to help us a little bit with this. You know what? God does look after us. God is our provider, and he provides us with many good things. When we receive that provision, often we say, I've been blessed. You know, you can imagine on Twitter or something, somebody would say, like, wow, great exam results, hashtag blessing. It's the sort of thing that we might put, you know, because we're recognizing, actually, wow, I've received something. You know what, sometimes, though, that can look as though we're being a little bit proud. Wow, I've got good exam results. You know, well, what about those that didn't? Did they not receive anything? Yeah, they did receive something, but it wasn't quite as good as me. Well, I've got a rise at work. Well, what about those who didn't get a rise at work? Do you see what I mean? So sometimes it can feel a little bit as though it's not always fair, not always nice, but nevertheless we recognize that all good things come from our Father in heaven. So God is our provider. When it comes more to talk about blessings, there are things that God gives, but also being blessed in God. If you were to go to Matthew in the beginning of the um, Beatitudes, what is it, the uh, Sermon on the Mount there, it talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. In fact, some translations say happy are the poor in spirit. Actually, when you read that, you think, like, what is this talking about? Happy are poor in spirit. Doesn't... But what it's trying to say is, look, when we get to a point when we realize in ourselves there's nothing good. There's nothing that can do any good. I need God to help me to do good. When we get to that point, we receive that we are receiving a blessing, the enablement of God. It's the blessing that really helps us to be contented, to be fully satisfied, to be completely whole, as it were, in God. And that really is the biggest blessing that we have, that we can be not just receiving temporal things, because we have to accept everything that we receive upon earth that is in physical form, cars, houses, rings, whatever it might be, wallets or whatever it might be, you don't take with you when you die. You don't take those things with you. Those are temporal. They are passing. They can be, and we would say sometimes that they are blessings, but really when we're talking about the blessings of God, we're talking about the things that we're given so that we might find our complete satisfaction in Him, our complete wholeness in Him. We're talking about God's blessings because God's blessings bring us closer to Jesus. Getting a raise at work doesn't always seem to do that for people. It's provision. Thank you for your provision. You've provided with me, me with a greater amount. I might be able to bless others. So it's not that we can't use that, but let's be clear. When we're talking about the deep blessings of God, they are things that we find satisfaction in Him in. They draw us closer to Him. They draw us closer to Jesus. The blessings that God gives help us to lose uh, or help this world to lose its grip on us, that we may gain grip upon the things of the kingdom of God. That's really a little bit about blessings. Then, and finally, I want to talk a little bit about the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And this phrase, the heavenly realms, or it's translated as a number of different ways in different translations. 
It's like, uh, it can be heavenly places, heavenly realms, and things like that. It's not a geographical location. It's not like, and it's difficult because, you see, in fact, elsewhere, Paul talks about the heavenlies. But it's only in this book he uses this phrase, and he uses it five times. He uses it in chapter 1, verse 3, where he's talking about this is the place where we have been blessed with all of these spiritual blessings. He talks about it in chapter 1, verse 20, and this is the place where Christ is seated. He talks about it in chapter 2, verse 6, and that is the place where Christ is seated, but where we also have been seated with Christ. He talks about it in chapter 3, verse 10, and it is the place where the church is supposed to be displaying the wisdom of God. And he talks about it in chapter 6, verse 12, and it is the place where the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil are to be found. The heavenly realms. So we often think of heaven, and sometimes when somebody says heaven, we basically mean up there, you know, like skyward. That's heaven. He's not just talking about, no, it's not just skyward. He's not talking about the fact of heaven, you know, like, well, I'm saved here, and, and, and it's, I have eternal life here on earth. There's a sense in which heaven is with me now. He's, he's not talking about that, and he's not even talking about the place that we are going to go to to be with Jesus for eternity because we're redeemed. He's talking about a place where spiritual powers are. Now, that's why I talked about the whole thing to do with what Ephesus had come from. Because Paul understands that these people know about spiritual things. Now, I'm saying that the heavenlies, the, the spiritual realm, or as he has put it, the heavenly places, the heavenly realms, these are places where spiritual activity, where spiritual powers are. And if you'd noticed, some of the scriptures that I quoted to you are talking about the fact that Christ is seated there but also is talking about the fact that the powers of darkness, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world are also there. So I need to tell you something about the spiritual realm, the heavenly realm. There are levels in the heavenly realm. Do you know who's at the highest level? God. He is far above every power or name that can be named. When you hear that, you recognize there are levels here. Because in the heavenly realms, if there are also the authorities and the powers of this dark world, then they're not on the same level as he who is above every other level. Ephesians 1 verse 20 says this, 20 and 21. He's talking about the power which God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So here we see Christ being seated in this place, this heavenly realms, this place where spiritual authority and where spiritual activity takes place. Christ is seated in there. Verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to, that is to come. So let's be very clear. In the spiritual realm, there are levels. The highest level is that of our God. No one is above him. No one can come close to him. He is the greatest authority that there is. So we need to understand that. Beneath him, 
Beneath him are other powers and authorities. This is why we have the power in the name of Jesus to cast out demons. Because it's a higher authority. But let's just make sure if we're doing that, Paul I know, Jesus I know, let's make sure it's not a case of who the heck are you? We need to make sure that we are rooted in him and that we're found in him. Amen? So I just draw those things together. We've, we're just going to cover the rest of the sermon in the next five minutes. <laughs> and that was just the introduction. So. so here we are, Ephesians 1. Let's just read this again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the spiritual realm, I'm just going to use that phrase to help us a little, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We want to talk about spiritual blessings. What have we received? These are some of the things that we have received. First of all, we were chosen in Christ. We were chosen before the creation of the world. Chosen. To choose is an act of your will. And what we're talking about here is in heaven, the one who has the highest authority, God, he has chosen, and who has he chosen? He has chosen you. He's chosen me. If you're a Christian, you can clearly say, God has chosen me. Now, it throws up all sorts of thoughts in our minds. Well, am I valuable? Am I worth it? What about this? I've done this. I've got this background. What are, you can think of 101 things. I don't care what you can think about. God wants you to know this. I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. You have value to me. Stop those voices silence those voices that are saying no. Silence those voices that are coming against you because in the highest heaven, there is God who is saying, I have chosen you by an act of my will. I made this decision and I make good decisions and the decision I have made is I want you in my family. Amen. That's what he's saying in heaven. Now, just before we get too overboard about the fact that he has chosen us, when, when did he make this choice? Was it yesterday? Was it, you know, he was watching X Factor last night, and he said, oh, hang on a minute, there's somebody else. No. It wasn't even a week ago. It says this. This took place before the creation of the world. Now, in one sense, it should be saying, like, okay, I don't understand this. And that's absolutely fine, because I don't understand it either, because automatically we're saying like, wow, wow. Before I was even thought of by my mother, my father, by my great ancestors, before any of that came into being, before the heavens were created, before the earth was created, before there was any water, before the world was round, God has made a decision to take hold of your life. Amen. Before then. We've got to understand we are talking about huge things here. It wasn't yesterday, it wasn't a whim, it wasn't a sudden decision, it was an act 
of the will of the highest authority that there ever is. God has chosen you. You have value. Any voice, not only of human, but any voice particularly that comes from the spiritual realm that says to you anything different is a liar and needs to be told to be silent in the name of Jesus. Now, are we talking about perfection? No, we're not. I haven't mentioned that we needed to be pure and absolutely right to gain this position, have I? And the reason I haven't told you is because it doesn't say it in here. It says that he chose us from before the foundation of the world. But it does go on to say something quite interesting. It says this, that we might be holy and blameless in his sight. There's a journey that has begun when we understand the choice that was, maker, that was made. The choice that was made was to call us, to bring us into alignment to the purposes of God. So this thing of like, I'm saved and now I can do whatever I want is absolute rubbish and it's a lie. We were saved for God and his purposes. And he is taking us on a journey to make us more and more into the likeness and the image of himself. We were created to be holy and blameless. What does a blameless person look like? One who is doing nothing wrong. What does a holy person look like? One in whom there is nothing wrong. There is no sin. We're being taken to that place. So if ever we're thinking of the fact of like, wow, I've been saved and it doesn't matter what I do, you haven't grasped hold of this scripture. You haven't grasped hold of the journey that God wants to take you on, the place where he wants to take you to. But you do need to start with this, boy, oh boy, did he choose me and he called me. He's taken hold of me and he wants me for his very own, to be holy and blameless in his sight. As we continue into this in verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And basically what he's saying here is he's repeating the same theme, if you like, but using slightly different language, slightly longer words, slightly more doctrinal words now. In love. The heart of God towards us is that he loves us. I know there's so much that comes against us which causes us not to believe that that is true. But it is the heart of God towards us. He loves us. And he predestined, it talks of. A strange word, but what it means is, look, I made a decision ages ago and I'm not changing from it. I predetermined that you were going to come to this place. That you are going to be called my sons, my daughters, through my son Jesus Christ. And this is in complete accord with my designed will, what I want to happen. This is what God is saying to us. And Paul says, well, to the praise of his glorious grace. <laughs> to the praise of his glorious grace. Why does he say that? I guess because Paul looks at his own life and thinks like, wow, what a mess I was in. I was killing Christians. I was making sure that these people were put right because they were trusting in this, this Jesus. So Paul knew where he had come from. Paul knew that he was full of arrogance and pride. 
because of his religious ways. Paul knew that he was responsible for the deaths and the imprisonment of many men and women who were really only living a good life. He knew that he was wretched in himself. He knew that. And so how can he look at God and say, God, what have you done? He can only say, wow, you have acted in such grace towards me. When I look at my life today, I look at the fact, God, you have been more than gracious to me. Ten years ago, I was leading the church. I was in charge in the church. Twenty years ago, I was helping to lead the church. I wasn't actually the pastor, the senior pastor at that point. But I look back, and now I even think, my goodness, what on earth are you playing at? Some of the things that you're thinking, some of the ways that you're living, what is all that about? You look back at life and you think, what was going on? This is the grace of God, because he changes us day by day. And you know, all of us, I believe, can look back at our lives and think like, man, I was amazed that, it's not that you're seeking to be an outright sinner, I don't mean that, but you look at the way that God changes you and say, look, that behavior, that needs to stop. We need to change from that. We need to adjust that. But he is gracious. He doesn't come and beat you up and threaten you and put you down. He comes to help you and to raise you up and to strengthen you and to encourage you. And yet always it's out of this heart of love that is to bring correction. You know, we were praying upstairs earlier and Vasanth was, was praying this. He was saying that, you know, God, we... I can't remember the exact phrase, but it's like, God, discipline us. God, come and help us. And I was thinking, like, man alive, do we really want to pray for God to discipline us? <laughs> yeah, and then I was thinking about, I was thinking about children and what mums and dads say to children. And I was thinking, like, if you actually take a percentage, you actually stop and listen to what a mum is instructing her child who's walking around, I don't know, Tesco's or something. No, don't touch that. Oh, no, don't do... In fact... 90% of what they say is probably don't, or, or, you know, let go of, or please no. And it's not that we're trying to be negative, we're just trying to say, actually, when you look at life, we need a lot of correction. And it's out of a heart of love. No, you're not supposed to put those sweets in your pockets before the checkout. Take them out. No, don't undo the packet of biscuits. Oh, you know... All of these things that go on in a supermarket between a mum and a dad and a child, we know all about it. It's correction, it's discipline. We need the discipline, because that's what it is. It's a corrective discipline that gets us into the right way of life. I need that from God every day. Every day. Please, don't do that, Jonathan. No, no, don't think that. No, no, no. You've got to say no to that voice. No, you've got to trust my word. You've got to listen to it. <coughs> See, it's not, you could say, well, that's not very loving and nice. It is, it's comfort, it's strength. It's actually making me into the person that I need to be. Because he wants to make me holy and righteous. And that is what he is seeking to do. God, out of his love for us, he made these decisions literally years and years ago. Now, I'm just going to give you two minutes about the doctrine of election and predestination. Okay. <laughs> And in honesty, you don't really need an awful lot more than that. If you go to books, theologians' books, what we've been talking about, they will start to say this is the doctrine of election or the doctrine of predestination. And therefore, and some of the arguments go like this, because we were predetermined, because it was these decisions was made long ago, 
then really we've got no influence in being saved. Because if God decided, well, he made it happen, didn't he? And my decision, my will, well, there's nothing to do with that. Do you see how this can go? So actually it can go, and I'm pushing this now to the extremes, this can go to the place where some people will say, well, there's no need for us to pray. Well, if God's decided it's going to happen anyway. And it goes to a place of a fatalistic place. Well, what will happen will happen. God does what he wants. He'll save who he wants, so we won't need to worry about anything. Now, I'm pushing this. This is an extremity of the doctrine of predestination and the doctrine of election. Okay? Now, well, how are we to understand this? How are we to know? How are we to understand? First of all, you need to know this. The ways of the Lord are higher than your ways. Firstly, we come with humility to the word of God. I don't know everything, but you do know everything. You are a mystery. I don't particularly like mysteries or surprises. I like to know where I am, so can you help me? But we can ask God, please reveal things to me. So there is a mystery about this. So people who are telling you all about this doctrine, how they've got it all sewn up, praise the Lord for them. But also, let's not get too carried away. Let's trust the Lord that he has called me for a purpose. He has chosen me before the foundation of the world and that I am his. And also, we could suggest a few scriptures to these extremists to help them come back and just to work through some things. You see, because in Timothy 1, it says this, that God, our Saviour, is pleased and he wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we see the heart of God is that actually he wants all of creation. He wants all people to be saved. Now, we know that maybe not everybody's going to get saved. We don't know. We're not quite sure who is or who isn't. But what we do know is this. The heart of God is to see everyone saved. Therefore, we do need to pray for people. And we do need to evangelize, because that's one of the things that can also happen. Well, I don't need to evangelize, because if God's going to make it happen, it'll happen anyway. You understand that sort of fatalistic outcome. That's not where we come as a church. As a church, we come with this. He has done such good things in us. How can we not go out and tell others of this good news? Because they need to hear this as well. Did you know that God chose me? And that's not because I'm anybody special. It's because I needed rescuing and you need rescuing too. And he can choose you. He has chosen you. Come and get to know Jesus. He's chosen us. And we still believe in the need to take out the gospel message. Because we know in the heart of God that he wants all people to be saved. And he wants people to come to a knowledge of the truth in him. And in any case, you know in that story in, Revela in, uh, yeah, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, it says there, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then what does it say? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Huh? But if it's all about God saying, I've done this, you've done that, and there's no decision for us, there's not going to be any need for the person to open the door. But you see in the scripture it says there is a need for us to open the door. We are the ones who can let him in. Now, it's a mystery. I don't understand how all of this comes together. But I do know this, that our will is involved, but God also chooses us. So something happens where he has brought me to know himself. I know this as well. In John, the apostle John is writing, I didn't choose you, you chose me. So there he's, he's emphasising the fact that you've called me. And sometimes you think, I pray that. You got me into this mess. Help me get out of it. You've chose me. 
What I want to show you is it's not all fatalism. It's not all planned out. We need to work with God and we need to, to be open to God and to, to seek God. Romans, so Paul himself writes this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So Paul himself is saying, listen, how can people hear about Jesus unless we go out and preach to them? So when it comes to this doctrine of election and predestination. There are some challenges to it, but we need to make sure that we just enjoy the Word of God. What do we have to do? I say joyfully accept it. God, do you want to come up? We joyfully accept it. God has, by an act of His will, chosen me for the things of His kingdom. What firstly I need to do is say, Father, I bless you that you have chosen me. I don't even understand all that it means, but open my mind to the understanding. Open my heart to the fact that you have loved me before the foundation of the world and that you have plans and purposes for me. I need to praise him for it. I did not choose you, he says. You chose me. That means that I need to live for him. I need to live for him. God, what is it you would have me do today? You've called me. You appointed me. You chose me. You created me. What do you want me to do for you? I'm here, just as we heard right at the beginning. And that young boy, Samuel, he's saying, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. We need to get ourselves aligned with God so that we can say to him, please, speak to us. I am yours, is what we need to say. Since you have saved me, what can I do for you? And that is that we can surrender our hearts before him. We can just open our lives up to him and see what he wants to do through us. Now, there's more, obviously, that we could have looked at today, but we won't have time to do that. But let us just know this. In the spiritual realm, the place where the powers of darkness are, the place where God is also reigning, in the spiritual realm, that is the place where God has primarily blessed you with every spiritual blessing. That's why we pray. That's why we read the Word, because we want to find out more about that place And we want to bring our spirits into that place so that we gain hold of all the blessings that there are. Because when we connect to God in that place, we truly are blessed. And when we are blessed, we can go out to be a blessing. It's difficult for us to truly be a blessing when we're not connecting and receiving those things from God in that place. Guys, thank you.